Joe, I'm exploding with things to tell you. Go on, tell us one story okay. of moderate length. Okay. And at least above average hilarity. Um, what stories have we got? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually, nothing happened. I really got into stacking stones. Is this the balancing thing? Yeah, it was the balancing stones. All right. And then I had like four rows of bigger stones getting bigger and bigger. Mm. Like, um, as in like four separate stacks mm. getting taller and taller towards the sea. Yeah. Yeah. So you're with me. You've just leaned in. Right. And what colour were these stones? Mostly grey. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was like th- stacks of three, four, four deep up to the ocean. And then when I finished, this woman comes over to me and she's like, me and my family have just been watching you do that. We can see like faces in them, people. She was like, is this your job? That's cool. I was like, no. <laughs> well, it can be if you pay me. <laughs> <laughs> it's performance art. You looked. You owe me 20 pounds. That's not to my life. Stop looking at my stones. <laughs> it's for me. Stop coveting my stonework. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with this story. You definitely combed your beard. This story Aye. takes place during the Stuart era. 1700s. Well, 1600s. Yeah, late 1600s. Now, Thomas Overbury was straight out of Compton, 1581. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And by Compton, I mean, of course, Compton Scorpion, yeah. which is a little village in Warwickshire. Uh, I don't know if that's where the name Compton... Was he a crazy motherfucker called Ice Cube? (laughs) (laughs) No, but he did know him. Uh, He was sent to Queen's College, Oxford, at the age of 14, and had a degree by the age of 17. He had a Bachelor of Arts degree. Was it easier to get a degree back then? Are you just... Are many of your stories just... No, of course, it's people with merit. Continue. Teenage Thomas then moved to London, where he studied law and developed a reputation for hard work and intellect that found him a patron in Sir Robert Cecil. Now, Cecil was a particularly good guy to have your back, because although he was barely five foot tall Mm -hmm. and a bit hunchback... He was wide as he was high. (laughs) Yeah, he he was known as the Wall Cecil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He could stop a rampaging bull. (laughs) Now, he was... Well, he had been a trusted advisor to Queen Elizabeth... And he was, currently, the right-hand man of King James I. Mm. This patronage gave Thomas an in at court. However, he found that he was kind of lacking in charisma and wit and all the things that King James quite liked. So he couldn't really progress far. Everyone kind of got the idea that he was really useful at, you know, doing those boring official documents that no one really wanted to do. But You don't want him at a dinner party. He, he's not the statesman. He's not the one you want, you know, meeting with people and schmoozing and trying to... Groom the Spanish. Yeah, he's, he's not that guy. He's the guy who, after you've chatted to someone about ratifying a treaty, he'll go off and do the technical bits for you. And he'll do a really, a really good job. No problem with that, Joe. Yeah. Everyone's got their place. Well... You should he, find it. He wanted... He didn't want that place. No. He wanted a... A bit higher on the on the ladder. I'm seeing all the the, the tone deaf people in X Factor here. Mm. Yeah, a bit like that. But the problem is, he hit this glass ceiling. He was still in his teens, oh. and he he had this do- this realization in his teens of this Limitation. is it. Yeah, this is me. 
Oh, no. I've made it to court. King James knows who I am, but he knows who I am based on, oh, it's that guy that I'll get to write that really technical point of law. He won't mind spending six weeks on it. He was disillusioned. And he was 20. And to make things worse, he was on holiday in Edinburgh. But it turned out to be a very, I'm not going to say fortuitous, but um, it was... Go on, Joe, search that memory brain of yours. Search for that word. Fateful. That's what I'm going to go with. Where was that in your in your mind palace? It was, it was somewhere out the back by the bins. Uh, it was. He was twenty, and he had a fateful meeting with someone who he thought would be his best bro for life. He was a young man, another young go getter, wanted to make his way in the royal court. It's Doctor Dre, isn't it? Well, Robert Carr um, is his Christian name. Robert Carr. From their first meeting, Thomas could see that his new friend. He was. A bit on the dull side. But that makes him shine. It makes Thomas shine. No, no, no. Robert Carr was dripping with charisma. Oh, Robert saw that he was on the dull that Thomas was on the no, dull side. No, Robert was dull, but very charismatic. Oh, right, okay. It's like he's he, he can't have an independent thought. Oh, he's dim. But he can sell anything right. um, if you give him the idea. He was the Steve Jobs yeah. to Thomas's Wozniak. You know, it was that kind of pairing. And Thomas saw it straight away. He, he was like, if I can convince Carr to come with me to London, I can get him front and centre, like right at the top in terms of King's Advisors. And then I actually have all the power because I'm feeding, feeding him, him what yeah. to do. And Carr, he could see a good thing. He was like, you mean I don't have to do any of the work and I get all of the glory and the titles and the power and the money? So between the two of them, they forged this alliance. Oh, God, this is going to go terribly wrong in about 10 years. Well, Thomas brought Robert to London and became Robert's secretary and advisor, and they slowly began codependently climbing the social ladder at court. A process that, ironically, became much easier when Robert accidentally broke his leg in a jousting tilt, at which King James I was in attendance. Is that a good thing? Well, it didn't seem to be, but King James, he took pity on the young man. Just started nursing him back to health. He did, like a baby bird. He took him and he personally, the king personally, tended to him and nursed him back to health, teaching him Latin in the process. Oh, I was taking the piss. No, no, he he clearly did. See, James quite liked young men. um, And he was as his special friends. Lovely, yeah, he was a handsome boy, charismatic young boy who was now wounded and needed some kind of paternal figure to to help him over this injury. So. It, it worked I mean, out. The, 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 the thigh is in creeping distance of something else. Mm. Yeah. And as you're giving that... Um, you, you're that, rubbing the lotion into the thigh. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's a natural progression really, isn't it? Oh, I don't know if he meant to graze it. <laughs> well, regardless of what actually happened, it was heavily, <laughs> heavily suspected that the king took young Robert as his lover. And by 1610... Robert had been given the title Viscount Rochester. Viscount of Rochester. Viscount Rochester. Via Robert, Thomas was able to convince the king in the same year to dissolve Parliament in order to head off a potential fight between the MPs and the Scottish nobles. So Thomas, straight in there, problem solving Mm -hmm. through his little puppet, Mm -hmm. who was loving being a a Viscount, who wouldn't, and assuming that he could tolerate or actively enjoyed the attentions of the king, win-win. They were amassing money, they were amassing influence. And like I say, though Thomas was the mastermind, it was Robert who received the titles and was given a seat on the Privy Council. 
shortly afterwards. And we all know what that is from Game of Thrones. Oh, good. You've yeah. actually got a reference that helps you here. Yeah. Fantastic. So it's the, it's the King's Council. Yeah, he's yeah. on the inner circle. The system is working perfectly. You know, no problems on the horizon here. Cool. Um, next week, what are we yeah, doing? Yeah. Um, isn't it nice to just cover a story where everything works out and two guys come up with a plan and they both stick to the plan and both profit from the plan. Yeah, because I've, I've often complained about my heart not being able to take all these shocks and stuff that you do to me. So thank you, Joe. Uh, right up until the point oh, no. where Thomas's mentor, Robert Cecil, died in 1612. In the power vacuum that was left from such a, you know, a massive figure at court dying, the Howard family, quite a powerful family, they made a play to strengthen their position at court even further and they took over a number of key positions. To further secure what they gained they sought to get the king's favorite car on board with them so they looked and they said right we've got all of these positions but we know the king only really listens to a few key people mm. if we can get robert to join with us and see things our way we're, we're golden which shouldn't be hard because he's dim yeah he's dim um and easily manipulated so while thomas overbury was busy actually doing robert carr's work they decided that he needed a wife, did Robert, and he was seduced into a relationship with Frances Howard. A lady. A lady, right. yes. Uh, Frances, slight wrinkle, was already married to the Earl of Essex, and Thomas was rightly concerned that the affair might damage his friend and, as a result, his own standing at court. Mm. So he's, he can kind of see the power play that's How happening. How charismatic is this car? It's well, just amazing. At this point, he's just a pawn to the Howards. They're like, that guy has a lot of power and he seems to be thick as two short planks. So yeah. if we just replace his friend, who seems to tell him what to do, with someone like Francis, who can tell him what to do, all of his power is ours. Yeah. Um, but Thomas, he's concerned about what it might do if this affair's found. So he tries to talk to his friend, thinking, I'll... As soon as I've explained to him what's going on, he'll see that it's in his best interest to just, you know, yeah, gently yeah. rebuff. Thank yeah. you, thank you for your interest, but no. He's just unaware. Yeah, he's, he's oblivious to what's going on. So Thomas reminded his friend um, that Francis Howard already had a reputation, and it was a reputation for injury and immodesty. Oh. And just to make sure that, you know, Robert got the point, he added that um, her mother had been a prostitute because, you know... yeah. What argument isn't strengthened by afterwards shouting, your and your mum's a, a whore? whore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's basically, you know, it's, it wins any argument, that. But Carr, he didn't take this advice to heart. Instead, he took this advice straight to Francis and told her everything that Thomas had said. Cross. Yeah. It was at this point... Because I love her. Well, he did. That's the thing. He was besotted with Francis. Yeah. Um, but it was at this point, having heard what Thomas was saying, that Francis decided Thomas Oberbury, he needed to go. He needed to go away. On a long holiday. Mm. Thomas, oblivious to the fact that Francis had heard everything he'd been saying, he doubled down by publishing. And this is, this is the way you get rid of a woman. You may as well go all in. You go all in. And you publish a 47-verse poem. This one Christ. was entitled The Wife. <clears throat> which was seen as a thinly veiled criticism of Frances Howard and her lack of virtues. Is it crap? It's a bit crap, but yeah. it's basically written as, as um, 
all of the things that you should look for in a wife. 47 verses of this is what a wife should be. And it was seen by Francis, at least, as a pointed sort of attack at her. Like, you aren't this. You are not this. Take verse 9, for example. Your mother's a whore. (laughs) For wandering lust. Open the door. A poop on the floor. (laughs) I mean, I assume it's supposed to rhyme because it looks like it's written in sonnet form, like A-B-A-B, and then a rhyming couplet. So we'll try and rhyme these two words, although it's infinite and delight. So we'll have a go. For wandering lust, I know tis infinite. It still begins and adds no more to more. The guilt is everlasting, the delight, that this instant doth not feel of that before. The taste of it is only in the sense, the operation in the conscious. That was all shit at... So, I mean, you can you can tell that that's, you know, knives out. I really can't. Fuck you, Francis. I mean, it's clear as day from that. Why? And the other verses are, are just as scandalous. What has he said? Am I just being an idiot? No, I'm, I'm not quite sure oh, how right, it is. Okay. But she took massive offence to it yeah, anyway. Yeah. And the poem, amazingly, it didn't convince Robert Carter to ditch his new girlfriend as Thomas had hoped. But it did convince Francis that he needed not only to go, but also, if possible, to die. What? Yeah, she, she wanted him dead after that poem, so it obviously did touch in her. Christ. Yeah. Now, Francis's first plan... He's writing another poem, isn't he? Well... Or a play or something. Yes, it was to write a 16-act play. Yeah. Um, no, her first attempt to get Thomas into trouble was to get him into trouble with the Queen. Uh, who was Anne of Denmark at the time and had settled into the idea that her husband was actually not very interested in women. So she had to make her own amusement and do her own things. Um, And what Frances did was she tricked Thomas into offending the Queen. And she did this by arranging for Thomas to see some documents that showed the Queen was in massive amounts of personal debt Mm. because she'd been trying out all manner of hobbies to try and fill the hours while her husband ignored her. Um, and Thomas, he couldn't help but share that information with a few friends because it's a juicy bit of gossip, isn't it? Yeah. The Queen's up to her eyeballs in debt. And this was promptly reported back to the Queen, who was rightly pissed that a random courtier was talking about her private business. So like, this is my business. Oh, so smart, Francis. Yeah. Well, the plan worked to a bit. Um, sure. The Queen did forbid Thomas from being in her presence, and he did have to spend five months in France to let things settle down. But he didn't go any further than that. So he wasn't tried for anything. He wasn't imprisoned. It was just a nice holiday. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, just lay low in France, see what happens. And after a while, it was like, she paid off her debts, essentially. And he was like, oh, I can come back now because she's not in debt. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, isn't it crazy you're not in debt anymore? (laughs) Well done, you. Um, But Francis, she was just getting started. She was just feeling out her opponent. See see how, how smart he really was. He is smart. Yeah, well, he did but kind of blab that. Maybe he's just, he's got to get used to this nemesis that he's developed developing. He doesn't know her tactics yet. No. So, well, her her tactics he vary wildly because her second plan was to offer a man called Sir David Wood a thousand pounds to stage a robbery and murder Thomas. Oh right! So that escalated quickly. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, Sir David Wood also didn't like Thomas Overbury. Um, however. At some point, he realised... Is this all coming down from the, like, top Howards? I know yeah, Francis yeah. is pissed off, like, personally, but there'll also be... 
I they, think, they're, they're I think trying to get like car the ha- in the back pocket yeah. all along anyway. So there'll be a whole team of... It's not just coming out of her head, it's her family's... I think it was, there was like a fa- Howard family conference and they were deciding what, what to What's do. the best thing to do, mm. yeah. But yeah, at, Kill some, him. at some point, yeah. Sir David Wood realised, I'm a sir, I don't really need the £1,000 and the risks that I'm putting up for killing this guy if I'm caught, you know, why would I do that? I'm why in a good position. Why get a poor person to do it? Why not indeed? Oh, mm. I could be a Howard. Yeah. Her next gambit, because she changed tactics again. She's not going to go down the murder route again. Her next gambit was to convince her lover, Robert, to have the king offer Thomas a position as an ambassador to Russia. Oh, so just exile. Well, it's a win-win for Francis because Thomas has two choices there. He can either accept and be in Russia, mm-hmm. which means he's not really going to be able to influence Robert from there. Mm-hmm. Or he refuses and faces the wrath of the king for disobeying. Because when the king says, I'd like you to be ambassador, what do you... What he means is... Go to Russia. Go to Russia, yeah. Go to Russia and talk to the Russians for me. Here's your hat. (laughs) And your... Is it woolly? English to Russian phrase book. There you are. Watch out for bears. Yeah, there's a lot of bears. Bears always come up in this podcast. (laughs) I need a bear counter. I'm on seven at the moment. Oh, yeah. Are you actually keeping score? Yeah, bears every week. I I just fucking love bears. God. They're so, like, gentle, but just furious at the same time. It's that, it's, that, it's that dangerous cuteness. <laughs> I like the term dangerous cuteness. cuteness. Thomas decided, out of those two options, that he was going to decline and see if he could you know, smooth it over with the king. But the king got a bit miffed. Right. Despite his, his attempting to be gracious and saying Because the king no. will be aware of the queen's, that whole saga. Oh, yeah, the, the king... And that's just another thing that he's doing to yeah. rock the boat. Slightly annoy people at court. Yeah, yeah. Um, he got so miffed, did the king, that he decided that he was going to throw Thomas Overton into the Tower of London for a little bit, um, imprison him, just just to let him know that you don't say no to a king. Mm. And he threw him in in April 1613. Thomas Overton would die in the Tower less than six months later. Oh, shit. Only 11 days after Thomas's death, Robert Carr and Francis Howard managed to get rid of the other barrier to their love, Namely, Francis's husband, the Earl of Essex. I forgot about yeah, yeah. I forgot about him. This time, however, they simply sued to have the marriage annulled on the grounds of impotence. Now, unsurprisingly, it was a charge the Earl strongly denied. <laughs> the point where he, he, he dropped his trousers in court. <laughs> Look at it! And balanced a hat. <laughs> <laughs> if I can get hard in a room full of old men in wigs, I can get hard for my wife. Yeah. And I did on many an occasion. Let me list the evenings. Now, it actually it wasn't as cut and dried as you'd think because for some reason they you went couldn't for, get it up. They went for an even number of judges to mm. judge this case. Oh, so it was this deadlock. It was deadlock five all. All right. So five judges went, look at him, soft, yeah, soft and flaccid, and the other five went like mm. granite, rock and stone. <laughs> and there was an impasse. So King James. He could see that this was causing a bit of an issue now. And he decided he'd just appoint two more judges who agreed that the Earl couldn't get it up. And the annulment was granted. What a hilarious thing to go through the court. Yeah. Well, How it, embarrassing for him. Because yeah. he knows which way. He, he might be impotent. But you still don't want that dragged up in a court of law. Yeah, but yeah. He's, he's sat there trying to... Oh, <laughs> oh poor Earl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next on the books is the Earl. Oh, his penis. <laughs> incapable of getting it up for his wife. 
Go on. Um, so the annulment was granted. Robert and Francis married, and they lived happily ever after. Yeah, I'm not buying it. Go on. For two years. Uh, okay. Then, in 1615, things changed. James had a new favourite called George Villiers. He was young, handsome, and crucially, unlike Robert, still single. Mm. Mm. And the king was looking for a way to reduce the influence of Robert Carr and the Howards at court to make room for his new bestie, for the person that he wanted to be able to bestow some titles and power on. It was at this point, sensing he might be able to profit from the situation, that a governor of the Tower of London mentioned that one of the warders had been bringing Thomas Overbury poisoned food and water during his imprisonment. Mm. And that seemed a bit odd. It's not standard operating Who procedure. Who Who brought that? Um, one of the warders had been bringing Thomas Overbury poisoned food. Right. Which probably isn't in How the, do you find that out so three years later? Well, no. What seems to have happened was the, the governor of the Tower of London, mm-hmm. the, the, the head warder, he knew that this had been happening two years ago. But at that time, who's he going to tell? These are the favourites of the King of England. Right. So he just turned a blind eye. But then when he saw that the king maybe was turning on Robert Carr and Francis Howard and that he had a new favourite who he wanted to to be able to promote. It's like, hmm, I have some information here that I've sat on for a few years and now if I bring this to the king's attention, he might be happy, Hmm. might be pleased with me. He might reward me with some... He could give him something. He could, you know, promote him. So, yeah, it got mentioned and... Sensing the opportunity because he gave him a big theatrical wink. Yeah. You know, hey, King, I wouldn't want you to have to investigate wink. your own wink, wink, wink favourite. Yeah, wink, wink, wink. wink. But wink. maybe we should investigate this. And the King did. He ordered an investigation. And Robert and Francis were soon implicated in a plot to kill Thomas Overbury. Still, it had been two years. Yeah. And uh, everybody hated Thomas. And it was the 1600s. So, what evidence were you really likely to find it was going to be the warden's word against two high-ranking people at court yeah you know there's no there's no problem upon searching francis's rooms a list of poisons was found you always leave a trick it's so silly these were arsenic sulfide to kill thomas which at the time was known as relga nitric acid which was known as aquafortis arsenic trioxide known as white arsenic Mercury chloride, known as corrosive sublimate, which mm. I quite like, and potassium hydroxide, which was known as potassium. lapis corsicus, and the powder of the dried beetle, litter vesicatoria, which is now known as ladybirds. It's now known popularly as Spanish fly. Mm. So they were going to try and kill him, but they were also going to try and get him rock hard before <laughs> they did, apparently. <laughs> Let him die with a smile on his face. Oh. By visiting the apothecary, who was named on the list, a Yorkshireman called James Franklin, who just so happened to have been suspected of poisoning his own wife, but he'd been acquitted a few years earlier. Uh, The investigators were able to locate James Franklin's assistant in Holland, who, conveniently, just so happened to be on his deathbed. And he was happy to make a full confession as to everything that happened to get himself right before God. Yeah. Yeah? So it's just... The most yeah, it's a unf- perfect storm. Yeah, the most unfortunate sequence of events that, oh yeah, well no, no one's actually going to say anything because everyone was involved and they managed to find one of the people who's involved just as they were dying and yeah. had 
literally nothing to lose but by think, spreading like, Francis it Francis is fully aware of all of, all of this. I don't think Carr knows anything. Oh, no, you re- he won't know anything about it. Oh. He just, he'll have understood it as it was at face value, <laughs> the whole thing. How did it, oh, that happened? Oh, no. Oh, you mean my friend didn't say he hated me and didn't want to play? Oh. He was, he was in the Tower of London. <laughs> I thought you said he, he'd gone to a farm upstate. No one can be this stupid. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> so, this was what was pieced together with the full deathbed confession. Robert and Francis had indeed bought lots of poison. Hmm. Loads of different types. Because they didn't know which poison they wanted to use. And that is genuine. They bought it all and they started trying it on cats. Oh, God. Yeah. To see what all the effects were. And then they decided after seeing the results of their experiments, which poisons they wanted to use. Uh, They secured the services of an assistant called Mrs. Turner. uh, And a warden in the tower, the warden who brought the food, Mm -hmm. Mr. Richard Weston, who was able to smuggle the poison into the tower and add it to Thomas Overbury's food. In his privileged position as having the keys... Three separate attempts to poison Thomas occurred in this way. Each one made him seriously ill, but didn't kill him. And they actually switched from arsenic poisoning to mercury poisoning between the second and third attempt, as they were becoming increasingly worried that Thomas might secure a release before they could finish him off. Oh, so it was just ramp it up. Yeah, because when the king had sent him to the Tower of London, it wasn't, I'm going to have you executed at some point. It was... You're here indefinitely. Yeah, you're here. As far as you're concerned. Yeah, but he always planned to release him, because... as we said right at the very start, he was really useful in all the technical yeah. stuff. He was actually quite it, a useful guy He was just flexing his power, wasn't he? Yeah. It's just, you're going to stop causing shit for my favourites now. You've yeah. learnt your lesson. And the king was going to leave it at that. And actually, each time he was ill, it was brought up in the Privy Council meetings. And they ummed and about whether to grant him an immediate pardon. Mm. So Robert Carr was bringing this back to his wife and the Howards and going, oh, well, they're talking about releasing him because he's a bit sick. And they went, shit. Okay, it's this death by a thousand cuts isn't really working. Yeah, we really need to proper kill him. Just sharpen that blade. Uh, and by this point, as well, after the third serious illness he'd had in prison, uh, Thomas suspected they were trying to kill him. And he wrote a letter to Carr stating that he had sent incriminating documents to a friend that would be presented to the king if he died in prison. Ending his letter, So thus, if you will deal thus wickedly with me, I have provided that, whether I live or die, your shame shall never die whatever remained to the world to make you the most odious man alive. Mm. So it's like, yeah, you know, I, I have something to hold over you as well, mate. Yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll get you killed. <laughs> I'm dead, you are. Yeah. Rather than stop, Robert and Francis decided it's probably a bluff and it spurred them on to finish the job. They took advantage of Thomas suffering a bout of constipation and yeah. paid the apothecary assistant... And his love of honey nut Cheerios. <laughs> it's all going to come together. Well, they paid the apothecary assistant, the man who gave the confession, the deathbed confession, yeah. William Reeve, twenty pounds, which is three million. Well, it's it's not a lot of money actually. Twenty pounds for services rendered, and what do you think these services are? Um, I don't know, kill him, feed yeah. him poison food. Oh no, they were done. They were done putting it in the top end. He was given the twenty pounds to administer an it's enema oh, right. laced with mercury. Jesus Christ! Which was given on the afternoon of September the thirteenth. Overbury. I remember that. It was a sunny day. Yeah. It was a slight breeze and, a, and a, like a vacuous wet sound. <laughs> Overbury, this time, deteriorated rapidly overnight yeah. and eventually died at 6.45am after asking for a glass of beer as a pick-me-up 
Yeah. So they went to get him a glass of beer. By the time they got back, he, he didn't need the beer anymore. Yeah, there was silvery shit all over the floor. <laughs> <laughs> the warden, Weston, the guy who'd been trying mm. to poison him, and to be fair, had failed. You know, he hadn't actually murdered anybody. Did someone smash a mirror in Oh, my God. <laughs> Why am I not wearing sandals? <laughs> <laughs> but the Warden Weston, he was tried for his part on October the 19th, 1615. And after being pressed to plead, mm. because originally he didn't want to plead guilty or not guilty, because I think he knew which way the trial would go. So he's just like, I'm, I'm not going to plead either way. I'm mm. not getting involved. They pressed him, which meant they, they sort Give of strapped him to the floor and put stones on him. Yeah, you're joking. No, this is what happened. More and more weight. Oh, really? Until he gave either a guilty or not guilty. Because in order for the court of law to work... You just, you'd say as soon as... As soon as they strap you down, you know where it's heading. You just... Then, you, then you'd confess. Some people died under the press. Fuck so it. I'm going to have to press you for an answer. That, that That's saying, where that comes yeah, from. Yeah, it comes from... I feel like you're making this up. Completely not. That's amazing. I know. Um, but he was pressed for a little while... Uh, and then he did plead. He did pled l- not guilty. Yeah, he did a little fart and then he was like, yeah. okay. <laughs> but he was finally found guilty on the 23rd uh, of October, 1615, and hung at Tyburn on the 25th. Back to the tree. Yep. The assistant, Mrs. Turner, she was tried on November the 7th. And after confessing not only to these crimes, but to some witchcraft, because <laughs> she was a woman. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, James the first quite liked um, witches, witches and witchcrafts yeah, and yeah. stuff. So... You know, it, it was pleasing the king. Um, and she was hung a week later at Tyburn. The head warden who knew of the plot and the apothecary Franklin were also hung for their parts. Oh, bollocks. So, you know, the guy who thought... I'll bring it up to the king and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. The guy who started this entire thing. Yeah, it wasn't as good an idea as maybe he thought it was. I'll get in front of it. Yeah, yeah that was it. I know I had a part to play, but... But I'm, I'm saying it now. Yeah. My only part was completely ignoring the murder that happened on my watch. Yeah. In the prison that was under my jurisdiction. Yeah. How can I be held responsible for that? I'm only the keeper of this prison. I told you about it two years later. Yeah, as soon as I could. Yeah. The mail's been shit. How do you expect me to get a letter from the Tower of London to the Houses of Parliament yeah. in less than two years? Um. So they were hung. And like I say, the Epoca Three Franklin was also hung. Unlike the Earl. <laughs> nice. Yeah, slip that in. Unlike he he may have been hung like an ox, but, you know, if you can't yeah. get it hard, what are you yeah. going to do? Um, Just stuff it in. Seeing that the game like was a wet up, baguette. Francis do decided... A, do to, a sock. Francis mm. decided to plead guilty at her own trial and hope that she would be granted clemency. However, Carr, probably playing on the idea of he was as thick as two short planks, he pled not guilty. He yeah. said he had nothing to do with it. Didn't know about it. Because he didn't. No, he probably didn't, actually, to be fair. Um, the king... He's so charismatic, he's going to get off. The king wasn't happy with this, because if he had pled guilty, he kind of implied to Carr, I'll pardon you anyway, mate. Just yeah. plead guilty so we don't have to have the trial. Because the king was terrified that if it went to trial, Carr might try and save his own neck by telling a lot of the secrets that the king had confided in him while he'd been his super special favourite best friend. And he was so concerned with what Robert knew that during the 13-hour trial, he literally had two people stood next to Robert Carr, one on either side, with orders to literally gag him if he he tried to start speaking about stuff. So they were stood there with, like, rags ready to stuff in his mouth if he said anything untoward. No, I think the king just went, 
if he says anything you gag him yeah pee on one pee on two here yeah, yeah. you if he starts talking you shove these in his mouth why shut up just yeah. just do it I don't pay you to think. Much like him, you're eye candy. Yeah, the winters are worse in Russia. <laughs> okay. We'll do it. In the event, they didn't need to gag him. Uh, and both Francis, who pled guilty, and Robert, who pled not guilty, were sentenced to be hung. Robert Carr's gone? No, they were sentenced to be hung. Oh, right. But, but. unlike the other four people who'd already been dispatched, they were wealthy. Yeah. And, and had influence. And a use. Mm-hmm. And it actually took Francis less than a month to receive a pardon. From James? Mm. Yeah, from the king. So a pardon. So it wasn't going to happen. A month after her trial where it was said, you have you committed murder. Mm-hmm. You've clearly committed murder. And you were the mastermind behind the murder. And we're sentencing you to hang in the same way as the person who just turned a blind eye to the murder has already been hung. And I, the... did, I did go to school with your dad. Mm. So... So I'm just going to weigh those two things and... Uh... You've spent, your clothes. A, yeah, you've spent a month in the tower. Um, and here's some fine. conversation. <laughs> yeah. And you can go back to your life of privilege. No, that didn't happen. Because Robert, he wasn't hung either, but he refused to confess even afterwards. He refused to sort of admit his guilt. And he was kept in the tower until 1625. How many years is that? That would have been... Uh, they were 16, so nearly a decade. Oh, shit. And brilliantly, and I think this was the king having a bit of fun at their expense... As he'd given the pardon to Francis, he said, on the condition, you're pardoned from being hung, but you have to stay with your husband in the tower until he leaves. So for 10 years, Francis was forced to live in the Tower of London with her husband, all because he refused to confess to having any part to do with the crime. But they're not even husband and wife. No, they are. They're married. No, they are married, but they broke up two years after they got together, didn't they? No, no, no. Who is that? Oh, the Earl. No, I'm missing something. Sorry, Joe, continue. So... Someone broke up. So... Right in. Francis is pardoned after a month, but she then has to spend a decade essentially imprisoned in the tower just because her husband refused to confess. Yeah. Which is probably based on the fact that, like you say, he may genuinely have had no idea any of this was going on. He, if if he did have a hand in it, her... Because she would have been housed with him. Yeah. Because the idea is she's going to pressure him into... Yeah, doing what she wants him to do. But he genuinely has genuinely doesn't know anything about it. And it's just the same argument. Just say you... I fucking didn't have a clue you brought me into this shit. Yeah. I just wanted to give tummy kisses to James. <laughs> <laughs> it's all got so confusing now. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so for, for the better part of a decade, that was the argument that was being had all the time. Yeah. Her saying, if you just say that you did this, we can leave tomorrow and him going but I didn't do this you did this yeah. and I want to clear my name so by the time they actually were allowed to go away from the tower by the time he received his pardon and they could go and live the life that they were going to live they were so fucking sick of each other mm. they immediately went their separate ways they couldn't annul the marriage because they definitely had sex they had a child mm-hmm. but they couldn't stand each other, so they had to live as estranged husband and wife for the rest of their lives. Oh, God. Which, I wonder if that was King James's sort of... Mastermind yeah. plan. Yeah, it's like, yeah, your families are too influential. I can't actually go through with the death sentence, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to make your life a living hell for a decade. And then when you do come out, you'll have been out of the loop so long, you're both worthless. Yeah, yeah. You're both soiled goods, and you can't it's even... a whole new team. Yeah, you can't even have the 
the comfort of each other yeah. because I will have driven you apart. What I'm saying is I think in this instance, at least, King James I was a psychological mastermind. <laughs> he played these two people. Yeah. Oh, thank God we don't die. <laughs> you can imagine by the end of the 10 years, I wish they'd hung me. Yeah. I wish they'd hung me so I and didn't you know have to listen to you. he's getting updates every couple of months. Like, how's, uh, how's car? Yeah, the miserable. Oh, good. Right. Anyway, Villiers. Thank you. Tummy kisses. Yeah. <laughs> Earl um, of tummy kisses. <laughs> as a final point, though, on William Reeve, you'll remember the guy who made the deathbed confession. Yeah. You know, who he basically, he'd, he, he'd led to the, the hanging of four people, this mm. confession. Um, turns out he had been far more pessimistic about his condition than he was been warranted. Oh, God. He recovered <laughs> completely from his illness and was later able to return to England without ever having faced prosecution for the murder that he had literally confessed to. So, of all of these people involved in this plot to kill... That's a double win, that's The it? only person who got off completely scot-free was the guy who actually killed Thomas. Do you think it, was, it took a while before people realised he'd actually survived? Because well, there have been reports of, like, yeah, he's, de- he's, he's dead. Dying. I've no, seen him. It's fucking gross. Yeah. The results... The, the, the reports from the investigators were, yeah, we found him in Holland. Um, he's dying. And he's, he told us all this gray. stuff. Yeah. And also, he's an Apocryphal's assistant, so it's like, okay, he's dying. Let's get back and get the people who are here. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the end goal for King James was, I want a reason to get rid of Carr and to take all of his influence so I can give it to someone else. So basically, by the time William resurfaced in England, everyone had moved on. And no one really cared anymore. Right. You know, oh, yeah, we've sorted out that. We've, we've yeah, it's like, hung it's some like people. An, it's good. Yeah, it's like an old story and a, yeah, yeah. a, a soap. <laughs> Let's uh, bring up Cat Slater and again Alfie. Yeah. No one gives a shit. <laughs> it's Phil. <laughs> Basically, if you murder someone, you go away for a, a year on the soaps and you come back and it's just like, oh yeah, he's yeah, got good. a heart of gold. <laughs> yeah. Did, didn't he kill that guy? <laughs> no, it was misunderstanding. <laughs> Say. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. So there you go. There is a Stuart soap opera for you. Nice, and you, you... The strange demise of Thomas Overbrick. great. Yeah, nice. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week. And what's the last three? What's the th- what's the finishing thing, Jim? Well, the finishing thing is when I have read um, long books um, in order to research mm-hmm. the topic, I am now giving a shout out to the authors and the main sources I used. But unfortunately, with the Thomas Overbury one, it was all little scraps from uh, various websites. There's no big book about it because it's unfortunately not big enough story to warrant a book. Oh, I missed the three words. I'm sorry. They're not coming back. They never. Mourn them. I can put three words in. I, I placed them in the Tower of London, where unfortunately they were given an enema. Right, laced with so much Spanish fly. Yeah. Three words this week, guys, are shoes, uh, cinnamon, custard, and tobacco. Well done. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs>